crazy jobs we do to make the cash we need to pursue our artistic dreams and to pay for the other content we produce kids Mm. we're talking about that power couple game the teamwork tango the old it's my turn to work while you take care of virtual school but you've got dinner and bedtime right hustle we are your hosts, Jamie Parker Stickle. And Jason Bieber. And on this episode, we are talking to not one, but two incredibly talented and driven individuals. She has her own fitness brand. She's a head trainer and consultant for Halle Berry's new fitness platform. She's a movement coach. And as an actor, her new film, Sylvie's Love, premieres on Amazon on Christmas Day. And she's a full-time mom. And these days, that really does mean full-time. Yeah, full-time. Uh, he's a fellow podcaster, a future forecaster, a game designer, a senior fellow at USC Annenberg School for Journalism and Communication, an adjunct lecturer at USC School of Dramatic Arts. Shout out to my alma mater, Fight On. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's the associate artistic director of the Echo Theater Company, a DJ and composer of the group DJ Starfaker, a martial arts instructor, a triathlete, and those are just the side hustles. He is a prolific actor, writer, director, and producer. Together, they are the best. And individually, they are... Raquel Horsford. And Ahmed Best. Ooh, that was yeah. <laughs> Welcome that to the show. Amazing. Good job. Nice. That was a good intro. Yeah, thank you. It sounds like we actually know what we're doing. Yeah, we sound very important. You are very you important. Hire us. You're VIP. You're, you're VIP. <laughs> this is the new opening to your collective reel. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, when people read back your accomplishments, um, do you ever go, eh, it wasn't that big a deal? In the meanwhile, the rest of us are like, it's such a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I usually think that I'm, I'm really not getting paid enough. Yeah. <laughs> the stuff that I'm doing, I'm just like, why is it such a hustle every month? I got yeah. all of this stuff going on. But yeah, it does, you know, when you hear it back, it reminds you of all the stuff that you do and all the yeah. stuff that you've done and all your accomplishments. So, you know, I think we everybody needs to hear their CV read back to them every once in a while. Yeah. I think you just introduced a new form of therapy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we, do, we do that at home. Um, you know, it's that, it's that thing where you have to constantly update your about you. You know, every time you book something new, um, I'm sure when you booked Halle Berry or, or when you booked um, uh, lecturing at USC, you had to create a new about you. And you're yeah. like, oh, God, there's a lot. What do I eliminate? Nobody wants the, Okay, what am I going to do? So you sort of have to do that regularly as a creator of content and as an artist. And I think that that is, one, the suckiest part of the job, but two, the best part, because you can see how far you've come each yeah. month. You know, each time you do a job. I always assumed by the time I have a resume as long as, it, as mine is, let alone as long as yours collectively are, or individually are for that matter, um, that someone would be doing that for me. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever pay someone to do it for you? Let's be honest. I've never. Um, I should. That's actually a really good idea. <laughs> yeah, I always like, I take the painstaking time to do it myself. And, you know, the hard part about it is, you know, you don't really want to talk about yourself too much, you know, it's that, that's kind of the painstaking part. We're just like, geez, what do I have to, why do I have to do this? And then it's like the remembering what you did. I'm really bad at writing down what I've done. Oh yeah. Just do it and move on. It's that artist thing, you know, it's just like, it's always the next job. So you're constantly thinking forward, forward, forward. So when you actually take a minute and remember the things that you've done, um, it really helps you take stock in, you know, all your accomplishments in your life. Also, um, I look at other people's, like for, for USC, when I was, when I was um, offered the job there, I had to do a CV and I'd never done a CV before. And um, I, my brother-in-law teaches at American University. He's the, he's the chair of the communications department at American University. And I was like, can you send me your CV? Because 
I have no idea how to do this. Like, how long is it supposed to be? I'm, I'm still in the headshot resume scene, you know, where it's just like, yeah. it has to be on one page, right? Yeah. Academic CVs are like pages. 10 pages long, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? Even regular so, resumes like, are, are gone to multi-page now. Have yeah. They? yeah. I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm job hunting again. So I've been meeting with recruiters and all of them are like, yeah, you just keep, keep writing. Just give us everything. Yeah. I'm like, all right, Norwegian cruise lines. I was a comedian and (laughs) classes at second city. Like, oh, that's actually useful. Really? That's useful. Yeah. Apparently people like that. People like actors in the boardroom now. They do? Yeah. They they like to change it up a little bit. They like that energy. You know, you get too many of the same types in there and it's like, it's stale. They want ideas, people. They they want you to have quit acting. Yes. They don't (laughs) want you to keep acting. They're like, this isn't a day job for you, is it? Isn't that your side hustle? No, I'm ready. I'm ready to give everything I've worked 30 years for up. Let's do this now. (laughs) I can fill out your spreadsheet. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Right, for 45000 a year, which won't even pay my apartment. Yep, that's sure. what we're doing. Uh-huh. Yeah. How do you feel about writing bios and CVs? I get um, extremely embarrassed. I don't know why. It's not that I'm embarrassed about my job. I think it's that you see all the things you've done, and then you still feel like, where am I? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I was like, I feel like you do all of these things. You work, work really hard, but like it, in your mind, it doesn't match like what, where you are. Where you are right now right. so it's like i'm yes. still living the hustle life like yes that because i just did all of this and i'm still here you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah. and i'm still like can i get paid for this um you know and and like it's not even unapologetically it's like i feel like can i get paid yes yeah. no it's, yes you know I mean? yes so it's like it's just and the, this is the respect level of like our industry is just, I don't know. Well, it's not just our industry. I mean, basically you, the, the feelings you're describing, I, I completely identify that with them. And by the way, this is from the woman who sent us not one, not two, but three separate resumes. Oh, she, I mean, this, I mean, and we haven't even talked about, you know, they're coming up and our listeners have a little sneak peek on YouTube because um, she may have told us about how you met um doing stomp that's where your love story happened because she loves your love story lynn wachter obviously um so uh but you know you've been hustling from new york city to la that's a long journey that's you know that's not easy mm-hmm. uh, and so i was oh oh and I, was, I was saying uh what you just described uh, that i also identify with i think we all do when you look at that resume that you've just written out of everything you've ever done and yet it doesn't line up with where you are or where you feel like you are in your career yeah and then you start to realize this is why my parents didn't want me to do this (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah they wanted to save us from the heartache of it and you know my parents are artists my father's a cinematographer who um decided to give up film and work in TV for 40 years. So he was a cameraman for ABC, for Good Morning America, Wild World of Sports, 2020, all those, all those ABC shows. He was a cameraman for 40 years because he had three kids, you know? Mm-hmm. He wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. And now that he's retired and we're all, you know, on our thing, that's what he's doing. He's like doing documentary films now. And my mom is a musician and uh, uh, a visual, my mom's kind of a polymath, you know? She can she can see something and do it you know she has that kind of deconstructor type of brain and she's she's a tortured artist you know she wants to make stuff she makes stuff all the time but she doesn't want to sell things you know Mm. so she she's always had that kind of pull of i just want to create but i don't want to market kind of deal Mm -hmm. and so when me my brother my sister we all decided to be artists they were like heartbroken and I remember, oh, wow. I remember, you know, we graduated in high school and my father was just like, how come you just don't want to be a lawyer or something? Like you're right. good at arguing, you argue with me and your mother all the time. <laughs> right. Mine said the same thing. Mine said the same <laughs> thing. And I studied government for a while because of it. Yeah. Pressing. But keep going. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was one of those things where I was just like, maybe I should go in, in, and be a lawyer. But the pull to be an artist was just so strong. It was like a calling, you know? And um, it was scary. It was a really scary thing because until you like make it in something, everybody looks at you like a failure. Oh you know? yeah. America mm-hmm. is not really, we don't really support our artistic endeavors until you make money. And right, then everybody right. goes, oh, okay, now we get it. Now you're an artist. But when you're searching, you know, especially in those younger days, everybody looks down on you, you know, yeah. as opposed to like Europe where people are just like, yeah, let's figure it out. You know, you want to, you want to be an artist. Okay, cool. There are things you can do and steps you can take. You know, their artists are exalted in some countries. They're on their money. You know, here we have presidents and racists on our money. So it's like, you know, trying to be an artist, um, especially when you're young is arduous. And if you can stay an artist through your life, it sits in a, and, and have a 401k and a pension and investments and stuff like that, then, you know, you're winning the game. So well said. Or you're just playing a lot of different games all at the same time. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're very good at multitasking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But it's also the creativity as an artist is what moves you into those other side hustles, right? Because being an artist requires so much attention, so much focus, so much creativity, and the ability to learn at, a, at, a, at a, an increased rate because you have to survive, right? So when you do start moving into things like real estate and finance, uh, and and all the other things that we're doing, all of us to to help substantiate what we're making and raise our raise our kids, our experience as artists are helping us mm-hmm. in those arenas because we're coming up with non traditional creative ways to do very traditional, um, uncreative things. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it takes vision and it takes nuance and it takes courage and that same courage that we have to commit to being artists is the same courage we put into our real estate investments. It's the same courage we put into our, you know, our fitness brands and, you know, books and so on. So I'm glad you said fitness brands because, you know, yeah, I wanted to ask you, but well, actually this really does go for both of you, but I want to direct the question to Rocky right now. Rocky right now. That's my talk show. That's your talk show. Rocky right now. Rocky right now. Oh my God, it's going to happen. Watch. For both of you, your side hustles are so in line with your creative pursuits that it, when reading them, it is almost difficult to differentiate between what's the side hustle and what's the artistic pursuit. And, and are they separate? You know, it's funny that you asked that because when you, when you asked, you know, what was all your side hustles? I was like thinking, I think all of it is, is in line with who I am, but I, I was like, I guess all of it is my side hustle and my real hustle is like raising, you know, us raising Marley, you know what I mean? Cause I can't quit yeah, that. hundred um, percent. The one job you can't quit. Yeah. So, you know, but, um, you know, I come from, uh, uh, I'm a daughter of two immigrants. And, you know, they came to this country for our education, for a better life. And, um, you know, us, me and my brother going to school was very, very important, you know, to, to have that foundation to get a job and make a good living and pay your bills on time. My dad's very, he's very good with money. Like my dad, like invests and has houses and they, they retired in the Caribbean. Like they're good. Like I never ever would have a burden of taking care of my parents they're 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 the baby boomers that benefited from all of the pension and the all of that stuff that we have to figure out right what we're going to do but when i first when i started um college i started with um as a business as a business major and then I felt so empty and I was like, I have to do something artistic. So I went, I applied for the, the conservatory and I got into Mason Gross School of the Arts and I double majored. So I, I was at the business school and then I was at the, the, the um, 
art school. And, um, you know, it's funny because um, I fought a lot to prove to my family, like, artists are smart. Like, that was such a big thing for me. Like, I'm smart. I could do this too. I just don't want to. <laughs> You know what right. I mean? <laughs> so when yeah. I when I like graduated, I was like, I did it. I'm smart. I could be in corporate America, but I don't want to. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I literally like got offers from corporations, and I would open a letter, and I just want to cry. I'm like, my dad's like, you got an offer? He's like, that's awesome. Awesome, take it. And I'm like, no, I can't. You know I'll what I mean? Frame it. <laughs> yeah, I'll frame it. I'll frame it. But um, yeah. As soon as I booked you know, stomp, my dad was like, are they paying you? And I showed him how much I was getting paid. And he's like, okay, cool. He's like, I never understood how you guys get paid money, but cool. Yeah. He's like, as long as you get paid money, I'm good with that. I'm, you know, he's, my parents are always supportive. They just didn't understand, Yeah. but yeah. they knew I was like a good girl. And they knew that I was made sound choices and I wasn't crazy. They're crazy child. So, um, uh, yeah, just, my my parents to this day are like, how do you get money? <laughs> right, right. How do you like? How do you? Who pays you? And then I explain like residuals and I explain like we get paid like four weeks after or or, or if we do an acting job we get they are allowed to pay us thirty days after we do it, and they're like really, but <laughs> how do you survive? You know, right. it's like. Like the last job. Yeah, <laughs> I remember when I when I um, when I was gonna propose to Raquel, right? I I I went and asked for her father's permission, right? I went the traditional route, and uh -huh. you know, so it was very difficult too because everybody was always around, and I had already planned my whole like how we're gonna do it. It was gonna be on this uh, same kid's sister island, Nevis, and I had like a private you know, thing happening and I was going to prop the question, but I had a, like a finite amount of time to ask the folks, right? And I couldn't get a time alone because during that time, it was during Christmas time, everybody from everywhere comes back to the island. So the island is packed and it's a really small island. So, we've been, we've actually been to St. Kitts. Mm -hmm. Oh, get out of here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like when I was touring on Norwegian cruise lines. Um, that was one. That was one of our stops, and Jamie came and visited me on one tour. So yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. yeah. It's beautiful. Been, it's beautiful. It's fantastic. We were like, we should buy a house here. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good place to to relax and chill, and it's beautiful. You know, we really go yeah. every year. That's where my parents live now. Our parents are there now. Nice. So, um, <laughs> the only time I could ask her father's permission was like in the car, like in between visiting people, because it's Christmas time and everybody visits everybody. And we had, we finally had a moment alone. And I was just like, okay, this is gonna be, and I was like sitting in the car, and her dad was in the car. And I was just like, um, you know, her father's name is Gelman. I was like, Gelman, um, I just wanted you to know that this weekend is gonna be really special for me. And, and I was thinking about uh, proposing to your daughter and, before I did, I just wanted to ask your permission. I just wanted to to really just get your blessing before. And he goes, yeah, yeah, you know, I have no idea how you guys make your money. <laughs> I was just going to say, did he ask you for a W-2? Did he ask you for last year's taxes? He was like, I have, I have, I have no idea. I have no idea how you guys make your money. You None. seem to have some, so. Like, you seem to be okay, so yeah. It's but not I drug, so no clue. I have no clue how you guys make money. None. My, my dad, my dad is just very much like you know, his my grandfather like he had six children, and he works you know and it and yeah. taking care of the family is a big deal, you know taking care of you know my my grand my dad had five sisters. Yeah, he's the five only sisters. boy. Wow, so, you know he has a thing like take care of you know he's not he's not like that girls can't take care of themselves because all my aunts are no. just really powerful women but yeah. you know he has an example of a father taking care of family and taking care of business and not leaving any burden to anyone 
So, yeah. so. You know. yeah, yeah, the only one. My my grandparents were immigrants as well, and I think uh, my father has that work ethic as well. Like I think that immigrant work ethic just kind of permeates through the both of us. And it's that thing of, we took a chance on being here. We're not gonna blow it, you know? Mm -hmm. We're not gonna blow that chance. So it's like, you gotta work. Sometimes my father worked a, a little bit too much. I yeah. Thought, you know, cause I, I would have loved to have seen him some more, but you know, but that he had three kids who were artists, so he knew he had no choice. Yeah, exactly. Oh no, you were speaking of your grandfather. Yeah, my, my, my father, my grandfather, right. My grandfather, my grandmother on my father's side, they were both immigrants from the Caribbean. So um, they, they, they had every side hustle. Hmm. You know, my, my grandfather was like a tailor and a trumpet player and a, um, an electrician and like all of these like other things just to make the ends meet. And especially in New York at that time where black um, men weren't getting corporate jobs you know you either had to have many jobs or be entrepreneurial what you know? time period are we talking about um for my grandparents it was um the 40s the 30s the 40s mm -hmm. um in new york and um <clears throat> the the armed forces was like a big part of their um job educa education like yeah. Even if they couldn't get a job in the private sector, the armed forces would always take black soldiers. So both my grandparents were um, in the army during World War II. Yeah. You know, they did infantry in World War II. And that offered them the not just the money, but it gave them uh, a, a bit of a, a prestige. It gave them some cachet. So <clears throat> when they did look for a job, the, the, the person who was giving them a job saw that they served in the army and that was a calling card for them for like honesty and, and integrity and, and it really helped them move up as far as they could at that time, you know. So it really is about that ethic, you know, doing what you have to do to provide for the family. And I think that's for, you know, both of us. I think that's kind of mm -hmm. a, a through line. Yeah. yeah, my grandfather was an immigrant also, and he was, I mean, different because he was a white immigrant, but he was super poor, and his mom died on the boat coming over, giving birth. Oh, my God, it was terrible. Um, terrible story. I shouldn't even bring it up. But anyways, there was, there was five boys, and he was the oldest, and they had to, when they came over, the Salvation Army took them and, like, put them to work on farms, mm. and he saw that the little boy's couldn't work as hard so he would do his work and then all of theirs and then he joined the army also when he got out because there was no other you know course of action for him that he saw he didn't understand how to do anything else and the army helped him go through college and then you know he supported all five of his brothers after that for the rest of their lives you know he took control of everything and made sure that all of us went to college too that was like my grandpa was like nope you're all going to college Right. Like that's what you, that's the American dream. You go to college, you get a job and you work hard. Yeah. So I totally relate to that, you know. Um, the, the immigrant patriarch. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big, you know, for immigrants, it's a big deal to come to get to America, get to stay and create a life that isn't dictated to you by someone else, you know, but one that you create for your family. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. If you can, if you can, if you're allowed to. Um, yeah. That's the biggest part, you know, the hurdle, if you're allowed to. Yeah. Um, Rocky, where did your parents live? Where did they, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in New York? No, I, well, yeah. Um, I, when my parents came here, they, they, they got married and my dad is really smart. He's a really smart guy. And um, like he reads like manuals for fun yeah for fun like he will <laughs> he will oh, read a manual like had a like a, a like novel a, like this a manual mm -hmm. about computers and he'll just read it and put a computer together like yeah he's really you know, he's, he's the guy who like read the book and then go like i, I know kung fu yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's so he, exactly to me. tell tell him what he what he did for 40 years oh he's a medical engineer what, what do you mean what was his job? 
oh, uh, he didn't do it for 40 years. I think it was like 27 years. Okay. Um, he's a medical engineer. He started with this company called Digital and that his first job brought him to California while my mom's pregnant and she had me here. And then um, we were here for about three or four years and my dad got another job offer for General Electric and it sent him back to the East Coast, which they were very happy for because um, it was too far away from the Caribbean for us to visit. And it was very important for us to be, you know, the family to be connected. So um, I guess when I was three or four, we left. I didn't even know California as a child. I had no idea. So when I came here as an adult, it was brand new to me. Right. Um, and my, my mom is like, you went back home. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we went back to, we went, we, we planted ourselves in New Jersey and which my grandparents were living in New York uh, and my dad's sisters. So like between New Jersey, New York and the Caribbean, that was kind of like our tri-state area. That's, so that's why they were okay with your paycheck for Stomp. They were like, oh, that's enough. You'll survive. Because I know like talking to Lynn and her paycheck, it, it was like, well, that's not very much money. Yeah, in the beginning. It, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering when you said your dad was like, okay, you're making money. Because my, yeah, my dad was like, it's funny. My dad is very like, he's, he is very savvy. He likes nice things. Like we've always went away. Like we went on vacation. We lived in a nice home. Um, you know, he'll, you know, like dinners, like, but he's not like, not, not about clothes and anything flashy. So he's very like particular, like what he's, you know. About experiences. Yeah. So, um, cars, I, cars. Yeah. cars, sure. Cars, cars um, are an experience that you, that you own. But yeah, like exactly. my dad, my dad, um, he, when he had the corporate job, he always got like company cars. So he'd like just drive the company car and have his Camaro for the weekends. That's awesome. And he still has it. It's a 1975 yellow canary Camaro. Wow. Amount of times I wanted to buy that Camaro from her dad. He was like, yeah, nah. And now it's on St. Kitts? No, uh, it's still no, in it's Jersey. My, brother. my brother's watching it, but I remember watching, watching it. <laughs> yeah. Watching it. Um, mm -hmm. But so anyway, so when I was going to school, I always got like the company car. Like my dad would buy it. Like after the lease, he'd be like, you're getting the company car. And I'm like, <laughs> it's so big, dad. It's like, you know, like <laughs> a big, like Ford Taurus or something like the that. Mercury like, Milan. Wait, I had a Ford. No, I had a Ford Tempo. My, your dad sounds a lot like my grandfather who was, um, he has three engineering degrees. He invented power steering and he, what? So we, for yeah. And he worked at Ford. And it was very, you know, like everybody yeah. drove Fords forever. Fords. I drove Fords forever. Like, but it was great because I could fit a lot of my friends in the car. So there you it was go. really well, awesome. You could drive uh, it cross country and fit a TV yeah. in there when the TV had the big back. I exactly. Just <laughs> so, um, so when I got my job at Stomp, I was like, I'm going to get a car. Yes. Babe. No. Babe. I said no. Babe. It's time for new workout gear. I love you, but you have to stop wearing my old boxer briefs to work out in. I hate it. Look, here at Mom Squad Clothing, pink, camo, all your favorites. Hmm. Affordable. Designed by moms for moms with support and quality for every stage of motherhood. Okay, I'm listening. And Mom Squad Clothing believes in community because we're stronger together. Did you know they're partnered with the 1% for the planet? Sold. I'm in. I've already made my shopping list. One of everything, Bieber. Okay. Follow us over to momsquadclothing.com and twin with Jamie on her fab new workout gear, gang. That's momsquadclothing.com. Oh, shoot. What? I forgot to get Christmas presents. Like, 
All of them? Oh, God, no. I, I got presents for you and Jack. Oh, thank God. But what about all our nieces and nephews? Ooh, great news, Jason. Our five-year-old's favorite book, American Gargoyles, by Neil Cohen, is available at AmericanGargoyles.com and wherever great books are sold. Ah, yes, the children's book that's all about the gargoyles of a once-celebrated but now forgotten New York City building from the wrecking ball of an egomaniacal real estate developer. Yeah, that's the one. Pick up or order American Gargoyles for all the kids you know today. By Neil Cohen. I'm going to get the car. And my dad was like, why are you going to buy a car when you have this one? Like, I can get you, I can get you this car that's going to cost like four grand. Like, Mm -hmm. it's yours. And I was like, yeah, but I want like a car that I like. Like, I just want, he was like, he was just like, thought it was the most, off the wall purchase to ever purchase while his yellow canary sat in the garage yeah so i but that's the only car that he had i love that the camaro is now the canary it was canary yellow (laughs) canary car canary yellow i'm just gonna call it canary Mm -hmm. right so exactly so i one day came home with a brand new 97 black Wait, wait before you say it i say miata Oh, <laughs> what do you think? I think she, well, okay, Jersey 97. 97. Come on, guess 97. The Miata was hot. It was oh, a yeah, bad idea, but it was hot. It was, it still <laughs> is. People think it's classic, right? Um, I'm going with a Beamer because she's classy. Oh, she's I, know. I have one now, so yeah, I could see that. But I, I got a, a Mitsubishi Eclipse. You're closer. <gasps> An Eclipse? Yeah, yes. you did. That was a fun surprise. I got, yes, you did. Stick shift. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you had to go to Manhattan. Saying. What's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, I was like, I was a car person. I was like, oh. <laughs> people be like on the, on the parkway, just like, <laughs> you know? So, uh, so I brought it home. My dad was so mad. It's mm. <laughs> like, so funny. I don't know why, like, I don't know why you bought this car. Like, you know, I think he was more worried that I'd be able to upkeep it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like, are you still going to have that job to pay for this car? <laughs> I mean, it's like, he's thinking ahead. I'm thinking like, I'm getting a car. You're thinking now. He's yeah. thinking, am I going to have to take over the payment? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, I I go on tour. I hardly even drive this car. I go on tour, and then I call my mom, and my mom's like, "Your father's washing your car." <laughs> I'm like, "Your father's waxing the car. Your father took the car out for a ride. Your father filled up the t- like, literally like adopted my car like a human baby." And, and and I come home from driving. He's like, "Hey, uh, I saw a scratch on your car." Um, you know, what happened? What happened to the <laughs> to my baby? <laughs> what happened to my baby? And then he's like, "Yeah, it's a pretty fun car. Yeah, it's really fun. It's really, it's pretty fun." Just, but it grew on him. It grew on him. So yeah, he, my Mitsubishi became part of the family. He drove um, it more than you, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was my my. That's my dad's love uh, language, like. Hey, I put some gas in the car for you. Yeah, take you know, like car. I washed the car. You know, it's very, it's very sweet. intimate. Yeah, it's the sweetest. You had the sweetest, the sweetest upbringing. You have the sweetest relationship. This makes me so happy. I might start crying. <laughs> well, don't get me wrong. My dad's it's like a like, John Hughes movie. I'm. I feel like it's writing itself right now. Yeah, my dad's great. My dad's great. My my mom is um like born to be a mom. You know, she's just like, you know, just she was took us, drove us to classes, drove us to school. She wouldn't let us walk to school. You know, she like she was very, very protective of her family and rightfully so. Like now that I'm a parent, I'm like, wow, I could totally understand why I couldn't. She didn't want me to do sleepovers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, especially during that time socially, it's like, Yeah why of course you know what i mean so um and we grew up during scary i I mean retrospectively it wasn't maybe as scary as it felt but i know it was scary as hell for our parents it was because the kids i went to school with like their grandparents were like 
having people of color around was very new. You know what I mean? And I still like in my neighborhood, we, we, we came in, we were like the only black family in my neighborhood for the longest time. And, you know, we knew like the guy down the street is not to be messed with that guy's like, you know, Harley guy and mm-hmm. that yeah. dude. Um, you know, there was like families that I knew that would like casually say the N word like around and go, Ooh, you know what I mean? Like there was things happening. Um, you know, we, you know, my dad, my dad would, you know, drive in a car and like, you know, like, is this your car? Like we had, we had a call about a Camaro. <laughs> it's like, really? A yellow Camaro? <laughs> Um, <laughs> I have a yellow Camaro and now, and you know what, now we have the coal mine. Right, 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 <laughs> right. But no, but it was, it was, a, it was funny. Cause my, my, um, my mom was like, I, one time I finally got to go to a sleepover and I went and my mom's like, I'll come get you at 7am. I was like, what? I'm going to be awake. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm like, everyone's sleeping and I'm like, waking up and I smell like Dunkin Donuts and like the mom's pouring milk and stuff and I'm like I'm gonna miss all of this because <laughs> my parents are so protective <laughs> they wanted to come up <laughs> I I went to a couple sleepovers but I uh I would call at two three in the clock in the morning and I was like I'm uncomfortable can you come get me I have yeah, nothing yeah. in common with these people you're one of those I was yeah. I'm one of those want to go home I always wanted to go home yeah, I, there was a lot of kids in my family, and I we all shared one room, so it was like sleeping right. with a bunch of people I don't know felt very strange. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my mom just, you know, it was years before the movie Taken actually came out, but I think that's what she had in mind every time I left the house. Oh yeah, definitely, that's what my mom thought. <laughs> definitely, yeah. definitely. That and I, I got I got no branded stuff like you know, the Cabbage Patch dolls that I wanted. Like, we're, we're going to pay $100 for a doll? Mm-hmm. No. My mom would go to, like, the fabric store yeah. and get, like, the Cabbage Patch doll material yes. and stuff it and make me a pillow. Yeah. I had a Cabbage Patch doll made for me instead of one of the Milton Manfred ones. Very yeah. similar. It was an actual doll. We have it at the house. Um, That's funny. But yeah, because yeah. <laughs> no one is going to spend that money. There were some American cultural things that they were like, yeah, no, mm. we're not going to spend. funny. <laughs> I, I, would, I would make most of the toys I give my son, except I don't have like a plastic mold. Yeah. <laughs> a 3D printer. Exactly. Oh. I think we should get a 3D printer I so think, we can stop. I think it's a good idea. I, I've been thinking about getting one too, just for that reason. Mm-hmm. Are they but, accessible oh. now? Yeah, yeah. yeah the thing is, you need a big enough one to print a toy that they can, you know, play with. Yeah, and you have to get the like the material to put in the printer. Stuff. That's where the money is. Mm-hmm. They get they make the money off of the actual like acrylic or plastic. I'm gonna get him a computer, a 3D printer. I'm gonna say you can have any toy you want. Right? You just have to learn. Get after it. <laughs> no, you'll be a monster. <laughs> Uh-huh. nothing will he'll never work for anything that's that's the thing right like we are i think all four of us are gen xers and that is a hard th- like we grew up hard like you know couch kid is too expensive you don't need that like how are you gonna afford the car you get the four thousand dollar car i had a ford tempo it was like there's your twenty five hundred dollar car go and you have to pay for it and you know i think about the kids today where everything is kids today I mean, it, things are way more accessible. We don't say no as much because things are things were really expensive in the eighties. Yeah, and yeah. our parents were selfish. I mean, I think. Oh, that, are you kidding me? My mom came home with a sob, and we didn't have. I'm not going to talk about that, but my grandfather don't give me lost it. My My grandfather lost his mind. Would not talk to the woman for a month. It was like. Uh, came home with a sob and she's like it's used they were a ford family they were right family and a sob so are we yeah um i think you know the boomers we are i think gen xers we have kind of the experience and we have an experiential existence that i think 
um, either side of us can learn from, right? Because the boomers were a very um, catered to generation. Mm. And by the time they came up in like the 70s, 80s, they really fell into the whole greed is good thing. Yes. And um, followed it. Like there were so many Gordon Gecko wannabes, especially in New York City. Like yep. as soon as Wall Street came out, the next thing you know, everybody had slick back hair and a thousand dollar business suit and everybody wanted to be a trader in Wall Street. And so that, that culture kind of permeated the entire boomer thing. So by the time we came along, they really didn't think about us in that way. They were still in the get as much as you can kind of just talk popular culture, you know? Um, and then we came along and invented the internet and um, developed all of these different and new creative ways to live a life. And then all of a sudden the millennials, the zennials and the zeers are, are taking advantage of the work that we put in to just kind of survive the boomers, right? Mm -hmm. And because there's just more boomers than Xers and more millennials than Xers, and we were a mass market society, a mass market culture, we kind of just got skipped over when it we comes to- We got skipped payment. over. Yeah. We, but you know what? It built our character as a generation. It did. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's why more of us are trying to share what we know and share our knowledge, you know? We're actually, and I, I always say like, if you take the X and fold it, we become the bridge, right? So if you fold down the bridge to the X, we can connect the boomers and the millennials and the zennials and be the mentors that we always kind of wanted. And I think that's our sweet spot as as gen xers like we can be those mentors we can be those teachers we can be that bridge between the mass market kind of folks i definitely think that we are the connectors when you think about it like culturally like everyone that's in hollywood like the writers and the creators like they're all our generation and you know even like my our son you know, he he's learning about cultural references that we grew up with. Like we grew up with this music and it's now, you know, influenced in his programming. And so I think that yeah, um, and we, we are the we are the connectors because our our parents gave us their, you know, their work ethic. We lived in an era where like we kind of, you know, the 90s was just like there's so much opportunity and money and it was great. It was great. It was like a lot of art. People were invested in art. Like we, you know, we, we, we experienced the benefits of, we, we experienced the time where they were actually paying artists to do out of the box things. I'm looking at this new generation. I'm like, man, I feel so bad for you because you guys can't make a living doing this like I did. You know I what I mean? Yeah, but I think it's different. I think it's taken a different kind of, shape in a different kind of form like what we call hustle they call the gig economy right right and the gig and, economy is not controlled by the individual right that's that's the hardest part of it right mm -hmm. it's still corporate america and mm -hmm. you're still you you're you're in this this vicious rat race this vicious cycle well it's, uh, it's, not, it's an ecosystem it's a it's a designed ecosystem people yeah. I don't even even say people. Corporate America discovered or figured out a way to take off that Gordon Gecko suit and put on, you know, hipster jeans and glasses, yeah, and exactly. say, "Hey, we're like you, and we're giving you opportunities right. to be your own boss, but you work for us." But you work for us, and yeah. you can get tips, you know. But now health insurance. But I also think that there are so many other ways to get your thing done now that um, there, there are so many, especially with what we do, like it, it, when, when it comes to um, creation and distribution. Well, I've done it. What? I wrote my quarantine novel like the world told me to do with all my extra downtime. Wow. It's so good. 
Might I say, a masterpiece. Mmm, and you did it in nine months? Yep. Well, let's just be double sure before you let people read it and hire the incomparable Chi Wang to edit it. Developmental and copy editing? Oh, yeah. I trust your nine-month novel very little. You are right, too. And Chi offers the most comprehensive developmental and copy editing. You can just ask one of the many published authors she's worked with. Yes, everyone can work with Chi on their works. Just head to her website, cywediting.com. That's cywediting.com. Now, Bieber, the first page of your novel is just a bunch of symbols. I know. It's a mystery. The, the biggest commodity that is that costs so much is time, right? Time is so very important in what we do. If you have the time, you can get it done, right? Yeah. I think about this like when I was a musician coming up as a young musician, you can spend 10 hours a day trying to figure out how to play a thing. Mm -hmm. Now, forget it. Like yeah. I can't, I don't have the time to practice that stuff. You know, I, I can't do it. You know, I'm, I'm pulled in so many different directions. So time is just this precious commodity. And, you know, it could be a blessing and a curse. But the blessing is if you have the time, you can find a way. Like these podcasts, the reason why these podcasts are so fantastic is because we're taking it upon ourselves to take the time to put out information that we find that's important. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And, um, you know, back in my record days when I had record deals, you know, you would sell 100,000 records and it'd be a failure. Now you can get 100,000 downloads and you're huge. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And you can get access to so many different things. You know what I'm saying? So the, the time and technology and distribution models and, and, and creation models are very accessible now. And now if you, if you budget your time correctly and if you have the desire and the gumption, you can get it done. You can get it made, you know? things turn over a lot faster now, which is tough. And we have to figure out, you know, as Xers, we have to figure out monetization of these new technologies. Like, exactly. That's the part for yeah, us. like Quibi, Quibi is a great example of it didn't work, right? Because yeah. YouTube has been doing this. It's just, you know, Quibi with the way they were monetizing it, the way they wanted you to pay for five-minute content when you can just go to YouTube and get five-minute content, one ad, and, you know, the... Yeah, yeah. I think Quibi was, like, two baby boomers trying to outsmart the Zennials. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I do. You know what that? You know what they need? Good content for no. five minutes. They didn't want good content. They were, they were like, yeah, they need you know famous that? people for five yeah, minutes. Right. And celebrity, you know what we can do? We have celebrity to drive it. Right. Soberg, the chick from Games of Games of Thrones. Right. Slap that together, make a show, five minutes. Zennials love it. But you know what I'm saying? Like the pitch doesn't work. I don't think anybody who saw Quibi um, come out with Katzenberg and Meg Whitman were just like, yeah, that's gonna be a success. Everybody no. was like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like why? You you have not talked to any of these kids. Like they're not gonna buy your content when they can get the same stuff for free. And then put themselves in it, and then right. make you know. Have you heard that. of TikTok, you guys? Have you heard of TikTok? <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, so all of this. This is. I want to ask you this question, Ahmed. Um, you're lecturing now, and you're teaching. What are you focused on at USC? What are how? What was the decision and choice to go? Um, you're a great lecturer. I mean, just the conversation we're having, and I'm like. This conversation could be straight out of the Afrofuturist podcast, if, by the way. If you, if you all, that's true. If you all could see me, I'm like bug-eyed just staring at them like, this is good information, come at me. So what are you focused on while you're lecturing? What classes um, are you doing? Yeah, uh, a couple of things. Um, the class I teach is a narrative arts class. I teach awesome. two classes. One class is a narrative arts class, and the other class is... Um, uh, uh, a class that's usually the, I teach uh, third year MFAs at the School of Dramatic Arts. And usually they get a showcase mm -hmm. right, at the end of the year. Last year, they couldn't get their showcase because of COVID. 
Oh. And last year was the first year I started teaching and I taught one class last year. And that was, um, it was a filmmaking class that I turned into kind of like a narrative arts class for actors. And um, because I started out as an actor and then ended up being a writer and a director and a producer. And then I went to AFI and got my master's in film. Um, my father's a filmmaker, like I said earlier. I had a bit of a, uh, an inroads and an acumen to making film, but in a different way. And a lot of times when actors pivot, we think that we have to be different, right? We have to look at directing or writing or producing as not actors, but yes. writers now, you know, right. we have directors now. And what I tell my third year MFAs is your acting ability is actually a superpower. You can actually do things as a writer, as a producer, as a director that a lot of those people who have never acted before can do. And you know exactly when something is right because you are in tune to it, you feel it as soon as you read it, as soon as you see it, as soon as you perform it, right? Now, all you have to do is be able to articulate that to the DP, to the gaffer, to the grip, to the production design, to the customer. If you can articulate those emotions in a way where everybody understands, you can work in any facet of the business. So my class was like taking those acting muscles and turning them into writing muscles, directing muscles, producing muscles, production design muscles. And the basis of it was, you know, you're studying acting and you're getting your master's degree in acting, but you never know in this business where you're going to end up. Right. I always talk to a lot of actors who like pivot to writing and now they're showrunners, you know, or people who got MFAs in acting and then all of a sudden become directors of photography. You, you know, the guy who played Bernardo in West Side Story, mm -hmm. he became a DP. Like he stopped acting and dancing and, and, and being a, he, he wasn't really Puerto Rican, but he became a DP. And it was one of those, it was one of those things where, you know, when you're young, you make these decisions, you're just like, I'm going to be this for the rest of my life. And then all of a sudden an opportunity comes and you're just like, oh, I kind of want to learn how to do this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So rather than abandoning your skills and believing that you're something else, I, I, I say, take your skills and use them as the foundation in which to grow this other thing. I came to Annenberg because of the futurist stuff that I do. Like I do a lot of future forecasting. I did the Afrofuturist podcast, as you said earlier, and um, uh, I'm designing this futuristic uh, forecasting game called Afro Rhythms from the Future. And um, I did a lecture at um, Annenberg uh, on futurist thinking, and they were just like, hey, do you want to like be a senior fellow here? And I was like, yeah, why not? Be nice to be able to write some stuff and put senior fellow at the Annenberg School. Yeah, always working on that resume. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'll do that, and um, I'll do the SDA. I got the SDA job from lecturing there too. I did a lecture for School of Dramatic Arts, and they were just like, hey, you want to work here? And I was just like, do I want to work here? Hmm. Do you have health care? Because yeah. I gotta tell you, Covered California is expensive. Yes. Word up. <laughs> People are like, no, it's not, and I'm like then you did not make enough money, apparently, because yes, it's, it is expensive unless you make under the poverty line. Yes. Um, uh, we won't talk about it, but <laughs> um, it, it does lead me into Rocky. Um, you teach dance, you yes. teach fitness, yes. you are, you light up a room. Now I watch her on Instagram. <laughs> um, I haven't been in the room because of COVID. Um, but you light up a room and you really enjoy this sort of field, this side hustle that you're doing. Um, yeah. I mean, I always feel like I, I, I needed purpose. I had to have some kind of thing that I did that brought me joy and purpose. And uh, teaching dance and movement and fitness is not just the act of that physical um, realm. It really is life lessons. Like even in my class, it's like all of like, it's all metaphors and about moving and taking space and going outside of your box and, you know, um, about uh, not being afraid to go there with yourself and, and, and be self-conscious and, you know, make the mistakes in the room and, and do the work here so that you could go out there and feel comfortable. Like there's all of these lessons and things that, that I share with my clients, but also it's like, I'm 
I feel like I'm teaching myself as well um, to really be proud of who you are and your and and your 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 true self. Because I really fought for many years of um, proving to people that I was talented or I was an actor or I was smart because I was a dancer. Because there was so many things that came with being a dancer. You know, it was it's like dance. You know, you, we think acting and or being artists are like low totem pole things but like being a dancer is like <laughs> bottom it you know especially like, in in los angeles because i'm not a dancer i've got two left feet and yet they would call me in for dance auditions and i was like it is not on my resume and they were like we'll teach you and i was like aren't there dancers here no 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 we need an actor yeah yeah what no. <laughs> was that? So yeah, it's 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 something that you know I I I always felt like I had to prove something you know even when you know I was trying to like get into the whole acting world when I first came out here they would tell me to take out all my dance stuff off my resume and then when I went in the room I felt so fake yes I felt like I was an imposter yes because I had to hide who I was and how I broke into this industry to validate like I can act. For both of you, um, all of this and your extensive resumes, which I'm gonna post all of their resume on the website. <laughs> y'all are gonna see it. And then I have links to their projects and dates because yeah, I know y'all. Um, Cause you will email me and be like, Jamie, when is this? And I'll be like, it's on the website. Um, but was it worth it? Do you love what you do? Is it all worth it in the end? Everything that I've done, I'm, I do not regret. I've learned so much. Um, as I get older, I feel more like off, I, I say yes to things I really want to do and say no to things that I don't. Um, this shutdown has taught me that I was driving way too much to random things. So um, the only thing that I, that I regret is like the time wasted traveling <laughs> from here, there, and everywhere. In the car. In the car. But you've um, Back to the value of time. The value of time, the value of time. So that is why no is self-love. You know, saying no, declining graciously, um, and doing things that you really want to do. Um, you know what you want to do when, when, when someone asks you something and it's not like, hell yeah then it's hell no, you know, it's right. just, you, you could feel, eh, just to say, you know, I'm going to take a think on it. And if, if it hits you the next day, then you can say yes or no. And no one feels bad. That's beautiful. Was it That's so true. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, was it worth it is the question, right? Mm -hmm. That is your question. Um, is your, your soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for me, I, I, I do a lot of things and, you know, I've always done a lot of things and, and, you know, I've always been asked why, you know, why you do all these things or why can't you just do one thing or you have to do one thing and then you can do the next thing. And I've never kind of subscribed to that. Mm. Um, and then I realized I do one thing really well. I do me. I'm really, really good at me. And what I am is someone who enjoys being a student, someone who enjoys learning new things, someone who enjoys watching people succeed. Oh, he's describing me. Yeah. Well, he's describing him, but yeah. yeah. No, he's describing me. Keep going. And, like and, this. and I really like it when I connect and I can see people get it you know what I'm saying and that's just as exciting to me as when I get it myself and doing all of these things um has really given me doing all these different side hustles has really given me insight and and skills and acumen and aptitude that have enriched m my life that have that has taught me so many things that has brought people into my life who um, I've, I consider family and love very deeply. And if anything, 
I think life is about our experiences mm -hmm. um, and how we how we walk through those experiences and how we learn from those experiences. So um, yeah, it was it's very worth it for me, and I hope to have a bunch more side hustles by the time before I'm done. Oh in yeah, third dimension. I've got those IKEA boxes. Yeah. I'm really good at IKEA. <laughs> I can put together a Billy, a Buddy, a Fjorn. I'm good at that stuff. So I next time I've got a Fjorn from Ikea, I don't even need the directions. I just need that little pain in the ass wrench mm -hmm. and box, and we can put every shelf together that Ikea has ever devised. Listen, I've got some news for you. Ikea does not deliver to Yucca Valley or Joshua Tree. What? FYI. So oh, you no. go. Get IKEA. So we didn't for these two houses because of COVID. We did not get IKEA, and we bought. Where did we? No, buy? but the other house we bought. Oh, everything IKEA, was IKEA. And I had to rent IKEA. a moving truck to pick it all we up. Had to rent a moving truck to get it out here. This time we bought like Wayfair and other. Wayfair, Wayfair. yeah, Wayfair is the move. Mm -hmm. It's good, but that's they, these dressers were hard compared to IKEA. Yeah, the Hemneys was was a bitch. That's true. <laughs> Anyways, we so appreciate you guys doing this and saying yes, because we know how busy your plates are. And um, it really meant a lot to us. And since season one, I'm like, what are you going to ask Ahmed and Rocky to do it? <laughs> we had to like, we had to prove to you guys that we did this for a little bit then. And we were like, okay, now we can ask them. Now we can ask We've them. Arrived. We talked to JK a lot. We we're like, hey, do you think they'll say yes? I think they'll do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just want to thank you so much, so much for oh, doing this. And real quick, your movie drops on Christmas Day. Yep. Um, any on Amazon email, Prime. On Amazon Prime. So good. That's and awesome. uh, are there any other projects that either of you would like to uh, make Shout mention out. of? Um, uh, yeah, the AfroFuturistPodcast.com. Awesome podcast. Uh, I've been Afro listening Rhythm. while I clean. Afrorhythms.org. Uh, I just uh, wrapped up a symposium on the future of Black America with UNESCO. Today. Wow. And um, um, you can still watch Jedi Temple Challenge on YouTube. See, is there going to be a season two? We're hoping so. It really just depends on whether or not we can get together and shoot things. So I love being a Jedi for the kids. Um, and um, yeah, I think that's about it. I think that's all I, I have. I'm, yeah. I'm going to be in, in college professor mode for the next few months. So, Yay! That's yeah. awesome. But yeah, thanks for having us on. Um, all you had to do was ask. We would have been here. Yeah. You guys are the best. Just, we have you could find me on rockyourbest underscore fit on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, I post classes and you could sweat with me. Yeah, yeah. You can find me at, at, <laughs> at Best Ahmed. Uh, best Ahmed on IG, at um, Ahmed Best on Twitter, and at Ahmed Best on LinkedIn. Um, and we're going to post all of those on the website. Um, yes, and yes. What and else? you can sweat and with me too. I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> we just want to thank our very special guests, Raquel Horsford and Ahmed Best. Thank you guys so much for being on the show with us, taking the time tonight. You guys are amazing. We learned so much. Thank you. I'm really excited for next week's episode. Because it's our last episode of 2020? Yes, but there's a better reason. Tell me, Bieber. Next week, we have one of the most wonderful people on the planet, Margaret Edwardowski, joining us to talk about improv, writing romance, and fostering the arts in Detroit. It's such a good episode. Bieber really fanboys. Wait, is it fanboy? Yeah, I'm a super fanboy. You're a super fanboy. And you do not want to miss it!